This one is dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. I took a drive to the west side of Paso for this episode. Just a short drive from the 101 on 46 West sits four lanterns. Owned by Steve and Jackie Gleason. I have interviewed Steve before on this podcast. They are big friends of the podcast and of us. But this short and sweet interview brings in bubbles. And y'all know how I love sparkling wine. Enjoy the conversation. If you listen to a lot of podcasts, you know that many ask for Patreon. We do not plan on doing this, but we do ask you to support the podcast by leaving a review. It takes only a few seconds of your time, but means so much to the show. The next best way to support Exploring the Wine Glass is to tell your friends. If you enjoy the podcast, your wine-loving friends will too. Slancha! I want a nice glass right now. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, someday service, champagne and Cotteron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am here today with Steve Gleason from Four Lanterns Winery on the west side of Paso. And we are going to be talking about winemaking styles, some cool wine, why he's doing it, all of that good stuff. But before we get into that, Steve, hi. And hi, Lori. <laughs> how can people find you? Uh, well, if you uh, are driving around in Paso, if you happen to be here now, um, you get on the 101 South from Paso Robles uh, and take the exit for 46 West. Like you're going to, I'm looking, cause I'm looking at the road right now. Yeah, uh, I do that all the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, towards the Hearst Castle or Cambria. And you go three and a quarter miles and we'll be on your left. It's a little farmhouse with a barn and a terraced vineyard going up the steep hill behind us. And so when did, you're not originally from Paso and you're not originally from the wine industry. So how did that wine industry come to you and how did you find the beautiful place that is Four Lanterns Winery? Uh, You know, just incredibly fortunate, I think. So I'm not neat. Well, you're from New Jersey. I'm from New York. So there you go. We have two East Coasters here talking. Um, so uh, early in life outside of New York City in the suburbs. And then uh, I went to high school in Corning, New York, which for people from the East Coast may know it's pretty far west in the state. Um, it's actually in the Finger Lakes region. So there's a little wine region there where I grew up. Interesting wines. Uh, so anyhow, just a long circuitous route. I had another career, uh, did it for 30 years, decided that uh, nose to the limestone was better than nose to the grindstone, as we say. Ah, uh, I so like I it. it. And um, had been visiting Paso for some 30 years. My brother has a home here. Um, and we just thought, 
you know, maybe we'll get a vacation home in Paso. And, you know, I was working on a startup and, you know, one thing led to another and that vacation home turned into a vineyard and then that vineyard turned into four lanterns and, you know, it just started snowballing and here we are. Lucky as And the name? Four Lanterns, we have four daughters. So we named it after our kids. Absolutely. And so when you decided to start the winery, uh, you you went about it smart. You didn't come in and say, I know how to make everything wine. I know how to do this. I know right. how to do that. So yes. you did have, you had a winemaker that you worked with, but you are now your winemaker. And so tell us, how do you get to your philosophy? Because, you know, like every student, no matter what the, you know, whatever the, the studying Everybody takes a little bit from this mentor, a little bit from this mentor, and a little bit from themselves and creates their own new philosophy. So how did you come across your philosophy and what is that philosophy? Um, okay, so I, I'm not sure. I'm going to skip the word philosophy, um, okay. but I know what your intent of the question is. So, um, you know, if you, if you think, let me see, 40 years of drinking uh, wine, uh, you start to hone in on what your palate is, what types of wines you like, and that can change dramatically over time, as we all know, because you may have started with big balmy Zinfandels or oaky buttery Chardonnays and your palate, that may be what you still drink, but maybe it's changed over time and mine had. Um, so I had a really good idea of where I was going. Um, and it was a little, uh, you know, a little further back from that huge pendulum swing we had uh, in the 80s towards bigger, bolder, brighter, heavier, higher alcohol wines. Um, so my pendulum had swung back from that as the years went on uh, to more balanced wines, um, more intricate wines, wines that maybe had a little bit less alcohol, which, you know, in Paso, that's saying something because there's a lot of high alcohol wines here. Um, so that's, you know, I knew where I was going, even when we started. Um, so I hired a very good winemaker, Amy Butler, for any of you people out there who know Amy. Um, and she understood completely. In fact, that was pretty much in line with the wine she was making anyhow. Um, so uh, right from the word go, we, we kind of knew where we were going. And the, the trick is, how do you get there? Um, right. So the first step is hiring a winemaker who understands what you're trying to do. Um, we always um, targeted the wines towards my palate um, and my wife's and my palate are very similar. So um, let's say our palate, if you can say that. And um, then the trick was, you know, learning how to make wines that way. And, and how do you want to do that? What approach you want to take? And then also experimenting and trying new things and uh, not being a, afraid to uh, kind of step out of the the boundaries that the wine world has created for itself and that winemakers create for themselves because when, every time you do that it's a risk and it's a financial risk um, but sometimes you got to go with your gut and um, sometimes it works out and it did so I think are. it did I think it did because yeah. I come to your place a lot the facility itself is magnificent. I love how large it is where you can have the live music, you have the, the summer concert series that, I mean, I'm literally parking almost on 46 to get a spot because there's so many people coming in for it. Um, and just 
all of that is great, but the wine, you know, you have to have great wine for the people to come and, yeah. and you absolutely do. And one of the things that I love is that you have some like weird, I don't want to use that word funky because that goes in a whole other direction, but like unique wines that Four Lanterns uh, has made in the past is making like you, you have a semi on. I, I honestly don't know anybody else who makes that in Paso. I, you know, they may, I'm just not aware of it. And that what that wine is killer. Like I, people would come in to, and I would go, no, no, you got to go to Four Lanterns and ask for the semi on, you know? So like what other varieties, why are you choosing the varieties that you are? Yeah. Sometimes you just get lucky. I mean, really, the Semillon, uh, we have two small vineyards. One is here around our home. I'm calling, you know, we're talking from my home. Um, and the other one's at the winery. The home uh, property has a, a Bordeaux vineyard predominantly. Now we've added some non-Bordeaux grapes. So when we first started, it was Cab, Merlot, uh, Petit Bordeaux. So we really were going down the Bordeaux path uh, and I wanted to have a white wine. So Semillon, there you go. That's how, that, literally, that's how we got there. It wasn't that I thought, geez, we're going to get all these great tropical notes from Semillon and the Pyrazines are going to be limited and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It was just the luck of the draw. And um, it's a it's an interesting grape. It's a, it's a little challenging to grow, but I think that challenge actually makes it a better drinking wine. Um, the canopy isn't as full and lush as beautiful as I would want it to be, okay. but that decreases that um, effect of pyrazines on the wine, um, as you well know, because you're a big Cab Franc nut. Mm -hmm. um, so it that helps some of those, you know, tropical fruit flavors that are kind of hidden in that wine to bubble up to the surface, if you will. They don't bubble, but you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, we just lucked out. Um, and since then we've added Cab Franc. The, you know, both you and I are huge Cab Franc fans. Um, Graciano, which yeah. has an interesting history here in Paso. It, it really started as a mistake in Paso Robles. The several um, vineyards had ordered Monastrell from a nursery and thought we had, Monastrell is, Spanish Mouved. Um, so everybody thought they had Mouved to go with their Grenache and Syrah. And we were all happily making uh, GSMs. Well, it turns out the M was really a G. So they're yes, GSG. Yeah, because it was Graciano. <laughs> um, and it's a hauntingly beautiful grape. Uh, just the flavors are amazing. And you get this like crushed white pepper on the finish. Um, just so much fun. So much fun. Um, so what other kind of different grapes do we have? Um, we planted Nebbiolo two years ago. So I'm pretty excited about that because we have it planted on a thousand foot high limestone hill um, on just on the south side of the peak. So I think that when we start harvesting fruit from that, that is really going to be a, a lot of fun to work with and drink. So. And, and there's when you're when you're picking what vines you're working with yes. right um do you, are you having are you having like oh you know what i want this to be a blend i'm going to plant this to blend or i'm going to plant this to be a single varietal or are you just interested because 
I've caught you more than one occasion reading reading Jancis Robinson's book to to get information um, about the grapes and everything. So yep. what yep. what's in your brain as you're choosing what goes where? Well, it's the it comes down to the particular grape. Um, Graciano, really, I always thought of as a blending grape, but you know we had our first crop this year. Um, and in all honesty, it'll probably get blended, probably get blended. We also grow Tempranillo. So you've got these two great Spanish grapes that uh, go very well together. I would do 100%. It was the first crop. We didn't get as much fruit um, as we need to really do a straight varietal run. But I have, you know, started to play with, you know, some of the blends and it, the Tempranillo Graciano is really a, it's a beautiful thing. So it's probably going to be more of a blending grape, although as the crop you know, the vines get more mature, we get bigger crop loads. Um, you know, maybe I'll start doing 100% Graciano. It just kind of depends on how it is, right. how it tastes, how it blends, and how it doesn't blend. Tempranillo is another, uh, you know, a great, it makes a great 100% wine, but it's also fantastic in blends. Um, it, it brings a, it kind of gives a lift to the blend. It gives a little more cherry red um, flavor and uh, helps actually lean out some of the heaviness of the bigger grapes that I might blend it with. So, um, I don't know. I got kind of, and now a word from our sponsor. Exploring the wine glass is brought to you by Dracaena wines. Dracaena wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in wine enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. Well, that's the fun. I think that's the fun part, right? I mean, when you're like, when you're doing a a single varietal, it's okay, this is the grape and this is what we're going to do. And we're going to, you know, maybe how we work with it in the winery or how we're harvesting it to give us that 100%. But when it comes to the blends, that's, that's kind of like the more fun. You sit there like the mad scientist around the cake table, right? And yeah, yeah. You're, you're like, does it go with this? Does it go with this? How much of this? How much of that? Yeah. Yeah, we have a whole process to that here. Um, and, and the reason uh, partly comes from my old profession um, where the, uh, uh, the, chief investment officers always you know he was always you have to have a process you have to have a process um and so i kind of feel that way about blending um and the reason is if you don't you know people are drinking even you're spitting you're still getting alcohol on your palate and it just goes off in a million different directions so you need to have a process to narrow yourself down to you so you can get to a good solution otherwise it's just randomness and this with alcohol involved, which is just a bad idea. You know? um, so I'm a firm believer and we have a very well-defined process to get us to where we're going. Now, once we get there, 
um, I firmly believe you have to iterate around your result because wine is not linear. So you can't just say, oh, I'm getting uh, a little bit of white tea flavor from my Grenache and I wanna have some more of that in this blend. And you add a little more Grenache in the blend, take a little bit of less of something else and, the, and you, all of a sudden you're losing the tea flavor you had in the first place. It does. So when you get to your answer, you have to step back and then try different combinations that are close to those percents to really hone in on the yeah. best possible. So it's a little both. I mean, it's definitely structure, but once you get there, you have to step back and let a little of the madness come into play and uh, just try everything around your answer. All right, and we are um, at the holiday season. And although I am a firm, firm, firm believer that every day is a sparkly day, yes. uh, for, for some reason it is thought of more commonly over at the festivities, you know, when we are being festive. And so I have this bottle here of Jacqueline sparkling wine. Uh, and so tell us about this baby. Did you did you steal that out of the taste room? How'd you get that, Lori? It might have been <laughs> under my jacket. <laughs> so, I, so I need to step back a minute because I realized we had talked about um, you know the winemaking process, uh, and I just want to highlight that Amy was our winemaker for the first three years and hasn't been since because I don't want her to think that you know I don't know what she would think, but you know it's. Um, you know, she provided the base for a lot of what we do, a lot of, you know, information and learning that I received from that relationship was great. Um, and then I went on from there. We've had some other wonderful assistant winemakers. Um, and I went to the UC Davis winemaker program uh, as well. So I've been making the wine here for years now. Um, so I didn't want to lead everybody, leave everybody <laughs> with the wrong impression. Okay, so sparkling. Um, first of all, it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to have a sparkling in the tasting room. Um, and, you know, I talked a little bit about, you know, stepping outside of the line when you're making wine. And so that is a Viognier based sparkling. Um, so the, your, your wine geek, probably almost everybody who's watching this is a wine geek, but, um, so the, it's pretty well known that um, the three main grapes in Champagne are Cab Franc. I mean, sorry. Um, <laughs> I wish. Sorry, Chardonnay, <laughs> Pinot Noir, and Munier, right? Um, so I've always felt that even though the taste profile is very different between Chardonnay and Viognier, I, I almost feel, you know, that they're substitute goods to use economics uh, reference. And... Um, they kind of feel the same on your palate. Uh, the effect of aging on the leaves is similar. The effect of uh, malolactic fermentation or not are similar. So I thought we don't grow Chardonnay, uh, but we do grow Viognier. And so why don't I try making a sparkling out of Viognier? Uh, and it worked out really nicely. It, it's, it's a very pretty wine. Uh, the flavors are great. Um, and you know, I guess you like it or you wouldn't have stole it out of the tasting room. And I, I do know. like it a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I actually gave away that bottle, but, um, 
anyhow, it worked out great. So sometimes, you know, stepping outside of the lines works out really nicely. And then, so just as a, you know, what's ahead type of thing, um, this past year, uh, I guess 2022, we did a Viognier and Grenache blend sparkling. Again, the same thematic idea because you think about Grenache and Pinot Noir, there's a lot mm-hmm. of similarities uh, between those two grapes. So instead of having a Chardonnay Pinot blend, we're going to have a Viognier Grenache blend. Um, and it's aging on the leaves right now. So we, we usually do about a two year uh, aging on the leaves for our sparkling before we disgorge. Will that be um, uh, will that be a rosé sparkling? It will not. No. Okay. Yeah, we pressed we pressed uh, the yeah. Grenache right away, so we didn't get much color from it. Okay, very cool, very well. I will be in line for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, when we do the tasting, you can come over. We saber the bottles when there's still the leaves in them, and that's kind all of right. Fun. Well, you know, I have a saber. Right. I, yeah. I, have, I have my official saber. Mike bought me an official saber, but I have been known to saber with some other things besides my saber. So um, <laughs> there's there's not much left in the house that I haven't attempted to saber with. We've done staplers. We've done um, spoons. Uh, yeah. Every- Spatulas are good. Spatulas are good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to lead, you know what, we're going to end with this question because we are saber maniacs. So tell us about the process of making this. It, you know, um, can I savor this? What's the AT, what's the pressure in here? It's six to seven atmospheres, so definitely. And we can savor. Yeah. yeah, you can definitely savor. Uh, but you don't want all these people running around with knives and bottles. Um, so there is a bit of technique, and I'm sure there's videos on it. But just be careful because. I know some people have cut themselves pretty badly yeah. um, doing this. Uh, I have this really cool, I have a saber that says United States Armed Services on it. It's a pretty oh, cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah, I love that saber. Some uh, dear friends of ours gave, them to, gave it to us. Um, so anyhow, what was the question? Uh, well, I was talking about how do you go about processing the sparkling? Oh, yeah, is it yeah, done in the traditional method? It um, is, it's done in the traditional method. Um, so um, we rely heavily on some help from our friends over at Raba, which is a champagne house here in Paso on the east side. Uh, so we make the still wine and then we take it over to Raba uh, and they add a little bit of yeast and a little bit of unfermented wine, which is basically yeast and glucose because mm-hmm. when the yeast eats the sugar, it creates the bubbles in the bottle. So the wine goes into the bottle into the champagne bottle, they add the uh, yeast and sugar, uh, glucose or grape juice really is what it is. Um, and then uh, they put a soda cap on it, like a little metal beer cap. Um, and then you have a lot of choices at that point. Um, so we choose, as I mentioned earlier, to age ours for two years on the lees, surly as they say. Um, so the lees is just that when that yeast is done consuming the glucose, it dies. And you get this, you know, if you have your bottle on its side, you get a long white powdery looking thing. It looks like confectioner sugar along the bottom of the bottle. Um, and that's just decomposing yeast. And that when that yeast decomposes, it gives off uh, flavors, amino acids into the wine. Um, Classically, people say brioche 
and it does it gives some creaminess to the wine too um so the longer you age it um two things happen it becomes more expensive because aging the wine and letting it sit there is expensive <laughs> two you're releasing more flavors into the wine um so we do ours for two years. And then you have another choice you can make. Um, do you want to add a dosage? And the dosage is typically, um, again, some form of sugar. Um, it could be wine juice. It could be all kinds of other things. Um, we choose not to because I like the brighter, crisper, non-residual sugar, sparkling wine. Um, one of the reasons we age it for two years on the lees instead of selling it right away when it's done, um, you know, creating the bubbles is that that creaminess helps to offset the high acid that is in sparkling wine. Um, and that's typically why people add the sugar. I, so we use that creaminess from the extended um, aging on the lees to help mitigate the flavor impact of the acid instead of adding sugar. So most people go, well, there's no sugar in my sparkling. Well, there, there actually probably is, right? So a brute or an extra brute is gonna have somewhere between five and 15 grams of residual sugar um, per liter. Um, so we're shooting for zero. Uh, so this would be along the lines of a brute natural, which is right. zero, yeah. zero, zero term, to right? point. Brute um, it's, one of, it's one of the things that drives me crazy when I try to do education about sparkling wine is because there's a class, there's a category called dry and dry is the fifth out of the seventh category. Dry is not dry. <laughs> so, right. That's right. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you figure where they start, they started from such high sugar levels back in the, right. You know, back in the day of the Vue Clicquot that, um, yes. You know, as time went on, the sugar levels dropped, dropped, dropped. And now we've gotten down to the new thing is no added sugar, right? Um, which is pretty nice. So anyhow, that's what happens. Then they riddle. I'm sure everybody that listens to your show knows what riddling is. And they pop that metal cap off, put in a dosage if you do or not in our case. Uh, and then the cork in the cage and the label. And there you are. And, and into okay. my hands into your hands and to your saber. My glass. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I am excited because I really do love, like I said, every day is a sparkling day for me, if I could. Um, and this is, I absolutely love this one. So I am excited to try your new one when it comes out. And now that everybody knows where to visit you, they can also find you on social media, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, I don't know if you're on Twitter anymore. Are we on X? I don't think we are. Um, okay. I'm, so you will see us on all of the above other than Twitter. Um, and just, it's not me doing it. You know, it's either my wife or someone else, um, just because I'm not a big social media person. <laughs> um, and that, but you could also go find our website, you know, at uh, fourlanternswinery.com. Pretty simple. Yep. And they can place an order online. Absolutely. And they can make reservations to come visit you and um, to come try all of your fantastic wine. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, and Lori. Thank you for my bottle. Uh, it will be consumed, I'm pretty confident, before the end of 2023. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, happy holidays, right? <laughs> happy holidays. Thank yeah. you so much. Good talking to you. Good talking.
in another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt Buck. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kievitz. Until next week, slancha. Give me the wine, give me the wine No, 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 oh, no, no, no Never let you go, oh, oh No, 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 never let you go, oh, oh no, 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 I want a last glass right now I'm on TV for my tent, I'm gonna tell y'all There is always time for a good glass of wine Right now.